Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. You know what everybody has been talking about this week, guys? I know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Everybody's been talking about it this week. And we actually even had a different topic arranged for the show and then wanted to leap in and join the discussion because we were so inspired. It's happening. What I'm happy about is, you know, after 80 years, people are talking about Amelia Earhart. I mean, it's amazing that there's so much discussion around this this newest documentary that um, Amelia Earhart, The Lost Evidence, that aired on a History Channel just this week. Yeah, and it was obviously very exciting because they said they had a lot. And it's been going on for like a couple of weeks. So the the pre-show was that they started showing this picture that said that you could see Amelia Earhart and her navigator. What was her navigator's name? Fred Noonan. Fred Noonan. That's mm-hmm. right. Noonan makes me think of the actor Tom Noonan, who's like this really tall guy that always plays like a killer. And oh, so every right. time I think, I, so every time I heard the name Fred Noonan in the documentary, I just kept thinking about Tom Noonan, like um, about to murder oh. someone. Like he's always behind Amelia Earhart with a knife or something like that. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, so the picture claims that they are on a dock in the Marshall Islands in right. 1937. So let's give everybody, if you, if you don't know anything about Amelia Earhart, you know, let's say you're a millennial and don't know anything about Amelia <laughs> yep. Earhart. Now's um, your time to learn. Yes. What would, and I'm just kidding, millennials, I love you. Um, <laughs> well, without them, we wouldn't have the craft beer thing. Oh, and that's what? Great, great what? Are Come we on. all millennials, Mike? Sure we are. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> sure. Anyway. We fake so, it well. So if you are uh, unfamiliar with Amelia Earhart, here's just a quick thing about her. She was the, I mean, a pioneer in female aviation i mean i'm yeah. speaking i'm oh, i'm mansplaining this yeah. to the girls oh, want to talk. yeah yeah so so uh so not a pioneer in female aviation just a pioneer in aviation really yeah there you go and so back when planes were just first some people were still getting excited about it and stuff like that <laughs> amelia Earhart was not i mean she was going across the atlantic she was the first female to fly across the atlantic right yep correct and then she had a thing where she was going to be the first pilot, period, to circumnavigate the globe. Right. Okay. And this was in 1937 she was going to do it. And she was she 39. Was old. I'm sorry. Go ahead. She what? was old? <laughs> yes. She was bold. Oh, bold. I thought you said she was I old. Thought she, no, I thought that too. No, bold. You know? So her and Tom Noonan. <laughs> Our, Fortune favors the bold. Sorry. <laughs> Fortune does favor the bold. So it's her and Tom Noonan, and they're in the plane, and they've already made it over most of the planet. They land in New Guinea, and that's where the last place they take off. That's the last place they were seen by other people alive. At least that's the last place we're assured that she was seen alive. Correct. Right? Yeah. And there is footage of her leaving New Guinea. Like somebody took out one of those old cameras where they're obviously probably cranking it themselves and stuff. Because you, fo- <laughs> you see the footage in the documentary in Amelia Earhart, The Lost Evidence. And it looks, I mean, it it's looks cool like it's cool to have it, though. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like who was the who was the like videographer? Who was the cinematographer in New mm. Guinea? Who's like I gotta get a shot of this. I don't know. Uh, maybe oh well, newsreel could be newsreel footage. Yeah. True. You know, yeah, things probably. like Amelia Earhart leaves New Guinea on the last <laughs> seven thousand miles. Yeah, because they only they only <laughs> You took me there, Mike. You really did. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So it's Amelia Earhart and Tom Noonan, and then they just never seen again. Tom yes. Noonan. That, that's the story, that, that's story as we know it. So they're never seen again, and this becomes this great mystery. What happened to Amelia Earhart? And that's what people wonder. I mean, did they go down in the drink? Mm-hmm. Were, did they go on some deserted island and just live a life like uh, Gilligan's, Gilligan's Island, island. Like, for the rest of their like days? Like castaways. There's, there's uh, another uh. researcher who uh, talks about that, but... The team that was working on uh, the lost evidence feels that, you know, they have the most documentation to really support uh, their hypothesis. And their hypothesis is that Amelia Earhart crash landed in the Marshall Islands. That's right. And, um, well, then was captured. So they survived and then was captured by the Japanese. That's right. And eventually executed by the Japanese. Yeah, taken, taken to the island of Saipan imprisoned, and then uh, later executed and buried there on Saipan. Yeah, so it's not really much of that kind of uh, South Pacific vacation that we all dream about. <laughs> yeah, it's not that feel-good I... story where where Amelia and Fred, you know, <laughs> crash They eventually land, fall in love. Fall in love like the Blue Lagoon, oh except older. Yeah. But it's okay, we can still run with that. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they, when they left, they... It was overcast and cloudy, and so there were, you know, theories that that was part of the problem, right? Yeah, the yeah. the weather is always part of the problem. <laughs> they thought the radio antenna might have been damaged and things yeah, like that. So, especially in those early days of of flight, right? But, but then but, they never yeah. found anything. Yeah, and that that's the problem. That's why we're still wondering what what happened to her even eighty years later. Well, I don't buy the coconut theory. I, 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 I don't buy the castaways theory because they'd have help. You know, we we'd see this from satellites. You would see a huge thing of help written in coconuts at the beach somewhere. <laughs> well, actually, I, I did interview uh, one of uh, the, the principal researchers who was featured in Amelia Earhart: The Lost Evidence. His name is is Richard Spink. He did talk about that castaway theory in the interview, and talks about why he thinks that's implausible i mean that's my favorite theory i mean i hate to think of you know fred being beheaded and you know who knows what happened to amelia but she ends up dead too and uh i mean that's just not you, you hate to think of of you know those adventurers going out in that way well you think about this though like of course the japanese are going to think they're spies because yeah. they got a plane they got a camera yeah you know they're Americans, so they're a foreign power. And maybe I'm thinking of it because I just watched Bridge of Spies last week, the Tom Hanks movie about, oh, the, yeah. uh, about the U-2 plane in the Cold War. And, and that's all about spy planes. And so, you know, there were hostile. I mean, Japan was already involved in World War II because they were at war with China ah. at the time. So they were already in the middle of the war. And the U.S. was obviously encroaching in the Pacific because we had the base on Pearl Harbor. 
and we'll we'll talk about all that kind of stuff in a little while uh, after your interview with uh, Dick Spink, who is one of the researchers. And National Geographic even did a, a really fascinating article on Dick called "One Man's Dogged Search for Amelia Earhart," and the the like the bylines like teacher has spent fifty thousand dollars trying to prove the aviator didn't crash into the Pacific and instead landed on a tiny island. So we're gonna get to that interview, but. So I can see why the Japanese would think she was a spy. Right. Because she had all the equipment to be a spy. And what do you do with spies? Right. And also, she didn't have the look of a typical female of that time. You know, she wore pants a lot and they refer to her as a tomboy. So I could see where that might also give them an impression of like she's trying to oh, yeah. be, right. a, you know, disguised or something like that. Yeah. Or, or that she's a threat. Right. Yes. She's like Vasquez and aliens, where you kind of, you know, you're, you know, you're kind of intimidated by her. And also, when you think about the traditional Japanese society, right, and the role of women, yes, right, it's not a very, I mean, even in today's society, I, I would say that the the role of women is not as well equal. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that in the U.S. we're all, you know, like we're, we're not that much better, but. It just kind of, it kind of makes you think so the Japanese don't know what to do with her. And so what happens when you don't know what to do with somebody? You kill them. Um, <laughs> yeah, you just get them out of the way. Well, I think that was the most compelling part of the special. It wasn't just that, like when they did the radio thing, because they were trying to see if a radio signal from the Marshall Islands could reach like Tennessee or what, I mean, there was a there was yeah. a woman who who heard the broadcast. She said she had heard Amelia Earhart, um, in like on her radio. She picked like, up the signal sh- of yeah, her. Yeah, shortwave. Short, she was a shortwave mm-hmm. operator. Um, but there were other uh, people that claimed to have picked it up in Canada as well. There were, were people who who have claimed to to hear signals um, from Amelia or, or hear transmissions. Yeah, so that whole thing, I was like, oh, I hadn't heard that before. So people had claimed to hear signals. And it wasn't just that. It was that the signal she heard identified her at that island. Ah, that's right. So she heard her say, like, I don't know, landing in whatever the name of the island was. Jaluit. It was a um, two-name island. Yeah, so she was in the the Marshall Island chain, and it seems like a lot of points of evidence are coming together to point towards the Marshall Islands. Amelia Atoll was the place where... Uh, That's oh, that, it. There you go. Yeah, Amelia Atoll was the island in the, the Marshall Island chain where, where she is said to have crashed. Um, that's the hypothesis. Right. And um, so the presenters, the researchers, had multiple pieces of evidence that seemed to line up and point to Amelia Atoll as you know the most likely place uh, for the crash to have occurred. But what I thought was the smoking gun was probably all the people who had said they'd seen Amelia Earhart over the years. Right. The eyewitness reports, we cannot discount that. I know that's anecdotal evidence, but that's where things start. And our court system is built on eyewitness accounts. So to think of all these people in the Marshall Islands who had memory, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of these people are, are dying now, uh, you know, they're because they're elders. Um, you know, this was 80 years ago. but the fact that that so many people there have this knowledge that yes Amelia Earhart crashed here uh or that this woman and man crashed here caucasians taken away by the japanese the 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 woman um you know she didn't dress like a woman she had short hair you know so a lot of people 
recognized that something strange was happening, but didn't know that it was Amelia Earhart. But uh, their accounts very closely, just, you know, exactly, I would say, match the description. Yeah. And they also matched each other's, a lot of them, you know, where they said some of them even thought she was a man, but they heard the soldiers and people, the buzz about a female flyer or female pilot. Yeah, that was the um, the one woman who still is alive that said she saw her. So that there's one woman who right. lives in Los Angeles and San she's Francisco. still alive. San Francisco, right. Californians. And she remembers seeing her. So that was like, there's one eyewitness. You know, what I did think was kind of BS though was when, <laughs> so who's the guy that, was it Sean? Sean Henry. Sean Henry. Sean Henry was the- Former assistant uh, director of the FBI. And he looks right, just they, like Uncle Hank from Breaking Bad. He does, he does. <laughs> Well, what I thought was funny, though, was um, like they kept showing that picture of him with the attorney general. You know, they kept right. on saying, like, just just in case you forget that uh, this guy, <laughs> this dude. guy was in the FBI. And here's him with the attorney general of the United States just for extra, you know, to make sure that you believe this guy. That it's not just like some history channel dude. Right. Like, well, Ge- <laughs> like, like Giorgio with the crazy hair. Like <laughs> he comes. Established credibility. It is, but I, I have to say that he did have pretty good TV presence, which made me suspicious. <laughs> right. Because well, it's like, and, come on, man. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. I think what is needed here is a point by point through the evidence. And that's not really what you get from TV, which is True. a visual <laughs> medium, stupidly visual, in that people maybe need to see uh, that picture of Sean Henry with the attorney general. You know, and they need to have somebody with that TV presence. Well, right. If they, if, if somebody's stuttering the whole time, it's not right. going to be very compelling television. <laughs> Nobody's going to, like, uh, uh, Amelia. Right. But the problem is, where's the substance? We need substance, and flash over substance is what we're seeing right now with the current controversy. This has no bearing on anything either, except that, like I said, I was suspicious because I'm like, why does this guy seem like an actor or some kind of a personality? When he's supposed to be the FBI guy, you know, he's supposed to be like, so I I was thinking perhaps if the show had been formatted differently, like with an actual host interviewing Sean, you know what I mean? Although I guess he was the one leading the investigation, but it just, it felt like so many times he was turning the camera and kind of winking like, now this is, this is good guys. Right. So it had that contrived feeling. Yeah. But I think it was good that they were getting the testimony, but then he's like, here's why he believes them. And that's that's what I that's what <laughs> right. got me because he's like me too. Well, you know she's looking off into the distance like she sees it like she sees it in her memory and you'll notice that happens when a lot of people tell the truth they'll look in the distance as if they're trying to see it and they see the memory <laughs> and I'm like get okay like I don't need to hear that kind of stuff I think he he was trying to talk about you know interviewing witnesses and what witnesses typically do when uh. recounting. Something okay. so so when people analyze, you know, when when um, people uh, in law enforcement are analyzing people giving testimony, they do look for signs of visual signs that you're lying. Sure, tells that's true. Tells, and so that's I think that's what he was trying to express there. But he also, anytime the other guy said I don't know, he's like the fact that he said I don't know shows that he's being honest. It's just, you know, it seemed like every time it was compelling toward his side of the argument. Yeah. It was like just, a textbook for how you lie to the police. Yeah. Like, now I know. Next time I get pulled over, it's like, you know how fast you were going? 
I don't know. And I'll look off into the distance and be like, mm, <laughs> pretend you're elsewhere. 55, 60 miles an hour. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so, but no, that kind of stuff was a little too much. But I did enjoy actually getting to see the people who had claimed that because that yes. to me, it becomes more than like the oral tradition. Because that's the thing in a lot, like in a place like the Marshall Islands and a lot of these South Pacific places too, is that the tradition of oral history to them is just as important. Like we, we believe things that are written in history books and they have a long tradition of oral history. And I think that was something cool to see as well in that the tale of Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan landing on the island is now part of the Marshall Islands, like the oral history, the history when they, when they tell people of, uh, of, the, of, their, of the 20th century. And in spite of the fact that it was kind of cheesy whenever he would make those little statements about the credibility of the storytellers, I agree with you that the people recounting their stories from their parents and things that they saw was the most compelling part of the actual documentary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that these are real people. And this tragedy impacted their lives. And they seemed believable. Right. And the thing is, you know, you have to understand what it was like for them at the time. You have to keep, keep that in perspective as well, that they were, they were in a time of fear, uh, a time when uh, their islands were being occupied by the Japanese. And uh, these are Chamorro people that live there. And we know someone who's Chamorro, don't we, Mike? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, uh, my godmother is uh, from Guam, and she's, she's Chamorro. And she has told us about when the, the Japanese occupied Guam. So it was a very fearful time. And if you know how memory works, uh, it, memory really kicks in when you are afraid, when you are frightened. So the memories of these people are perhaps even more credible because of that Japanese occupation and because the the Japanese soldiers were raiding homes for food and resources. And so, you know, people, as like happened in in Guam, were in a scary state of mind at that time. Well, the thing is, though, to play devil's advocate to to that, though, Um, That is how fear, you know, fear does, you know, increase the sharpness of memory. But at the same time, it also makes you more susceptible to like a memory being planted. Suggestions. I'm not, I'm not, that memory being planted sounds like some kind of science fiction thing. I think when is it, it is, it is suggested. So, I mean, that 90 year old woman, she could have been told by somebody that, you you know, if this is also, this is part of the history of the Marshall Islands Mm -hmm. now, like you were saying, they featured Amelia Earhart on a stamp. Right. So has she been suggested to that, you know, hey, we saw we saw some white woman down there and it looks like the Japanese, you know, had taken her. That to her, now she remembers seeing the woman. Now that's not how it played out. But I'm just yeah. saying playing devil devil's advocate that, you know, we even had an episode about how memories, while you were saying that the legal system runs on memories. Yeah. Memories also can be uh, very misleading, and right. you, you know suggestions can lead to people remembering things that never happened, and then also people with the whole satanic ritual abuse and and things like that. It's happening. The same kind of things happening now. Yeah, the memories are a bit of a sticky wicket. I mean, if you are in a state of fear, you know, chances are you're going to remember what happened because uh, it, it's. Just basic survival. You want to be able yeah. to use that information uh, in the future to keep yourself from harm. So uh, something of novelty that comes about in a time of fear it is also something that, that would be remembered. Anything of novelty. So uh, 
were the people on the Marshall Islands thinking about Amelia Earhart? I don't think so. I think most of them didn't know who she was. But right. for a Caucasian woman to show up and to be dressed as a man um, with short hair, to, to be a female flyer, I mean, those things would really stick out. And that's what we saw uh, in the documentary. These people that were interviewed really noticed because of that and because um, these people crashed on the island and then were taken away uh, as prisoners by the Japanese. And that's actually what's featured in the, the stamp. And the fact that they knew the boat that took them away to the, the yeah. Koshu. It's not like some boat. It's like, no, we know the, the boat. It was called the Koshu. Come on. I mean, that, those are some real compelling specifics there. Uh, but what I want to talk about here is, you know, I think a lot of the things, uh, you know, the eyewitness testimony, the different uh, paperwork that they found regarding transmissions that people received, all those documents that they were able to bring forward. Okay, that's dull in TV land, but that's what I think people need to rewatch the documentary and focus on. Um, but that's not what's being focused on. Not not the not the eyewitness accounts, not the historical documentation, not the fact that there are interviews with Marines who said that they were sent to Saipan where supposedly uh, Noonan and Earhart were taken away to um, and died and were buried on Saipan. Uh, these Marines were sent to Saipan uh, to recover the bodies of Fred Noonan and Amelia Earhart. Why would they lie is my question. So all of these things really pile up and point to this hypothesis is as possibly being valid. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying the evidence seemed pretty compelling. But right now, all anybody seems to remember is that photo which purportedly shows Fred Noonan and Amelia Earhart on a dock in the Marshall Islands. Off in the distance. Yeah, and really the photo, uh, this is the other part of the documentary that didn't really jive with me too, because you're sitting there and they're taking like this this Photoshop analysis of the photo. They're looking at it and um, the guy's like looking at specific kind of things and he's like, well, it kind of looks like Amelia Earhart's back and, you know, trying to prove that this is Amelia Earhart. And really when you look at the photo, it is hard to see. Yeah. Even with the big thing, the guy's hairline was what they compared, which, I mean, that's the, not. Yeah. It was the flimsiest <laughs> part of the evidence. You know, yeah. why are we stuck on it? Uh, because, what, you know, why is that the only thing people remember? Well, I think the idea is that a photo is not something you can easily disprove. You know, especially a photo from the 1930s, because that's not like a like a modern photo where somebody put up a picture of the Slender Man and a 4chan forum. <laughs> you know, this is something that is from the National Archives from before people were messing with photos. And we had access to this, you know, special anybody can create a special effect of a UFO in the sky or a ghost in the background. And this is before they could do that. So this is that would be then the smoking gun. But the problem is, is this smoking gun is such a soft piece of evidence because it's it does look like it's a gimmick. Let's just say that it's that one of those gee whiz gimmicks that people put in TV shows, you know, to get draw people in and get them to watch. But the thing is here, though, that 
it worked for the pre-show in that it got everybody excited to watch the show. Talking and about the it. Thing is, it uh, so um, 4.32 million people watched it live. Wow. It's, it was the biggest show on cable all week. It beat out Fear the Walking Dead. It beat out every other show on cable. 4.32 million viewers for a basic cable show is a huge number. And so there was going to be some kind of impact there because it was the biggest show of the weekend was what everybody was talking about. Now, what happens immediately after? So like two days after the thing um, comes up is there's a Japanese blogger uh, and he's somebody that opposes the idea that Amelia Earhart was executed by the Japanese because it just doesn't make you look good. Yeah, you know, it doesn't make it, the Japanese look good. It's not that good for PR. Right. And so he goes in, says that in a 30-minute Google search, he finds this picture in the Japanese National Library uh, from a 1935 travel log of the Marshall Islands. Now, what does that remind you of, that, that quick debunking? Does it remind anybody of anything? Well, the Roswell slides. It totally. Does. It does, totally. But... This is not the Roswell slides because there's more to this than just a picture or two. Right. Exactly. A lot more evidence. Yeah. And here's the thing too. And this is just the nature of our current like clickbaity internet world in that every news organization that featured originally the Amelia Earhart picture, they're like, Hey, this picture proves that Amelia Earhart was in 1937 Marshall Islands. Now we know what happened to her. So two days before they're all printing the story. And here's the thing about like every blog and you know just reprints the same thing absolutely you guys notice that yes so annoying cnn same thing usa today same thing how about some new information it's like somebody took like the ap wire thing and they're all just making book reports of it (laughs) right it really is like all the like where we get our news now especially the stuff that's shared on facebook and twitter it's all like reprints of somebody else's original material and that drives me crazy because like i subscribe to like i don't know six or seven different paranormal news sources six or seven different cinema news sources because i want to hear about like what the movies are coming out and it's the same story on everyone everyone is the same story and it's always it always links back to the original and none of its original reporting so what happens with this is what's the headline the headline isn't just new questions about Amelia Earhart photo that's not the story the story is what kind of stoops are these History Channel people if some <laughs> blogger can take 30 minutes and debunk it? So this is obviously bullcrap. Right. So it's weird how, okay, so they started out uh, being preoccupied with the photo and saying, oh, here it is. It's, it's the smoking gun. It's proof. And it isn't proof. I mean, no matter uh, if this blogger is right or not, I, I mean, even if, it, it, okay, yes, maybe it's found in the National Archives. Uh, you know, there's, there's, it seems to look like Fred Noonan and Amelia Earhart. They're, it's still not definitive. It's not proof, no matter how you slice it. So, but it, it's just all these news outlets were running to hold out this photo as proof, and and then now, as you said, Mike, they just turn around the complete other direction and saying, "Oh, it's all crap," because some right. blogger said so. It's crap. Well, and the thing is, that's where we are. And so I posted something, I'd say earlier this week about the Amelia Earhart photo on Twitter. And then people responding to it after the whole blogger came out and said it was fake were like, well, you know, this is obviously a fake picture. It has been debunked now as if this is a settled fact. Okay. Yeah. And so there's a lot more to the story. And I think we should get to that interview with Richard Spank now, Dick Spank, and talk to him really quick about what he thinks, because he's been working on this for years. 
Right, absolutely. And Richard Spink, he actually didn't find the photo, but he works with the, the researcher Les Kinney, who did find the photo in the National Archives. So that's an interesting point, too. I mean, it was in the National Archives, and it's also in this Japanese media library. So, yeah, we should get to talking to uh, Richard Spink because uh, he has some thoughts for us about the authenticity of the photo and also is able, I think, to give some points which might eventually help us debunk the debunker. Can we talk about that photo a little bit? I know you you talked about it in the interview, and I I don't want to talk too much about that. Uh, because I think the enormity of the evidence besides that really supports uh, your hypothesis. Um, and everybody's really focusing on the picture. But uh, it, it seems like something weird is going on. The only thing weird about that photograph is that uh, some Japanese blogger came up with it with uh, uh, that same photograph in a scrapbook. Right. And it's a loosely held together scrapbook held together by string. And there's other photographs in there that are not, that are, po- that are you know, post-1935. Um, some of the dates in there are on photographs are from 1935. That's not a question, but our photograph is not stamped 1935. That dock that they're sitting on in that photograph did not exist in 1935. And I've got a letter from Robert Reimers that says that. He was the one that delivered material to that. Right. And it's really taking precedence, which is a shame because, you know, my point is you had so much other evidence that was was so compelling. That's right. And now the only thing anybody wants to fight about now is the picture, which is really dumb. (laughs) Because who cares? Everybody everybody wants their five minutes of fame. Right. Who cares about a stupid picture? What about all the other documentation? What about all the eyewitness reports? That's what I'm saying. So that's right. But it is the important. media wants to just prolong this, um, you know, this and, and make it a scandal because it sells newspapers. So, right. um, you know, and we're just trying to set the record straight now. So we're we're working on that right now. I, I was up until three this morning working on some things because yeah. it was only 10 o'clock at night in the Marshalls that time. So um, it, right. it just is, uh, uh, you know, it's been a it's been a long, a long week. Absolutely. But the important thing is that, you know, probably more people are talking about Amelia than ever right now. And so we got to like keep that going, but, but get it running in a direction of accuracy. The woman was an amazing woman. Yeah. She had nerves of steel and she started the woman's movement. And, and we need to give her all the credit in the world that we can give her. Um, well, you know, got no argument from me. <laughs> she wasn't that great of a pilot. OK, you know, she did crash 11 airplanes. But she was able Better to walk away do. from them all. Yeah. You know, was able to walk away from them. So she was good at crash landing them. Hey, Howard Hughes, <laughs> Howard Hughes crashed a lot, too. <laughs> so, and, and if she would have spent as much time learning how to navigate properly, use her radios, because she had the latest in radio technology at the time for radio navigation. If she would have spent as much time learning how to navigate properly as she spent promoting that flight, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So one more thing about the photo then. So Les does say that he did get it from the National Archives. And yeah. so, so the position then is that, yes, it was in the National Archives, uh, labeled in a certain way. But then it was also maybe in this travel log uh, as well. 
But, you know, as far as dating it, we we can't date it with um, that 1935 date. That's inaccurate. Yeah, um, the, the date is inaccurate. Right. And um, so, and you said that the dock itself was not built until 1936. And, That's right. And, and so... Where did you get that information about 1936? That came from the several old people that I know that lived there. Yeah, so alders. And and and, and it's it, and so what we're trying to do is document that. And the one document that I do have right now, which you can find online, okay, um, is, is an interview that was done by Bill Primack. You know, okay, Bill Primack was the head of the Amelia Earhart Society. And Mr. Primack's newsletter of in May of 19. Uh, 97. And you can find this online. Okay. In the interview, Reimer says, Imija, that's Jabor Jalut, was a very secret place. And even my local people had little access to this area. I was one of the few Marshallese allowed in because I delivered construction materials regularly. The Jabber docks were built in 1936, and the seaplane ramps and docks for the naval base at Midij were started about the same time. My shipping records were all taken by the Japanese when the Great War started, but I'm sure of the dates I just mentioned. And then he goes on. But that's that's specifically relating to that. Um, and he escaped and got away with his two oldest children at that time. Uh, and if he, he just escaped being beheaded by the Japanese because he was trying to feed his own family. And he uh, there was some food that was supposed to go to the Japanese troops that he took to feed his family. And, right. There was uh, a lot of stuff that went on like that in Guam as well. I have some relations in Guam. Um, so questions regarding uh, her capture by the Jap- Japanese. Has the Japanese government um, or everyone, anyone connected with the Japanese government ever, ever commented um, or well, made any know, statement regarding they're gonna look, this? They're going to look pretty bad. And they don't want uh, this. This is one of the reasons we believe this Japanese bloggers coming out. And, oh, no, 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 no. This is all hogwash. Because uh, it's going to really give them a black eye. Uh, yeah. It's going to give all the people that love FDR a black eye. Um, I mean, FDR at the time probably made a pretty good decision. You know, you got to remember, this is 1937. Tensions are high between uh, Japan and the United States. Uh, and, uh, you know, FDR was supporting his base crowd, which was 75% of the population that were isolationists. They didn't want anything to do with another world war. They came out of one, uh, World War One, and, uh, you know, memories were still pretty vivid. So uh, FDR was supporting that base, trying to keep us out of the war. And, and uh, you know, at that particular time in 1937, Japan's Navy was quite a bit larger than ours. Uh, if things could have happened that the the American public would have found out that the Japanese are holding America's sweetheart, ticker tape parades, New York, you know, you know, I might be speaking Japanese today. And then one other thing to talk about was in 1940, FDR had an election coming up against Wilkie. And, um, you know, that could have turned the table on him. So it's politics as usual. Absolutely. The, The Japanese have never made any statements regarding this, to your knowledge? Uh, they've been asked multiple times. Fred Garner had uh, one interview on the radio. He went to Japan to try and find that out. And while he was on hold, the captain of the Koshumaru called in, and they never connected. So many people have been so close for so many years. It's been amazing. And, and yet we haven't been able to get that smoking gun that we need, that 
piece of material that's got the serial number on it of her airplane that right. ended up in Saipan. Uh, you know, you look at interviews by Robert Wallach, Thomas Devine, all these Marines that were firsthand witnesses to her in Saipan. I, I mean, you just, the list goes on and on yeah, and what would, on. What would be on. their motivation to lie, really? I mean, because it kind of uh, makes well, them look I'll bad. I'll tell you exactly what the motivation yeah. to lie is. If you've ever followed Rick Gillespie and No, Tiger. no, I'm saying the Marines. Why would the Marines lie? Oh, oh they wouldn't. They wouldn't at all. But right. if you want to take a look at the, the other people that are creating other stories that are going other ways to, yeah. to profit. Um, I mean, I'm in this thing. Wait, I mean, I'm a, I'm a school teacher. OK, I don't have a lot of money to be thrown at this thing. Me too. Me and, too. I understand. And, and, and it's just it's ridiculous. To, to look at, uh, you know, I've, well, the last time I counted, I was in at over $50,000, and, and I'm leaving again Wednesday to go back to Japan. Right. And, it's not cheap to fly there. The, yeah, I got to be back by the time school starts. So, uh, but some of the other things that are just really, you know, upsetting are these people that are just obviously chasing down stories uh, like her dying as a castaway in Nicomaroro. I mean, this is amazing that this man has been able to continually fabricate a story like that. I mean, uh, it, it's <laughs> and, and people continue to go after it. I mean, right. you know, in the early 1950s, the Coast Guard built a Rand station on that island where Gillespie's looking. So there was dozens of Coast Guardmen that, you know, that called Gardner Island home. Uh, you know, they were often bored and hiked all over every inch of that island. Okay, um, and you know that island was searched by three U.S. open cockpit biplanes, um, and they flew from fifty feet to five hundred feet over that island for thirty minutes. That you know that island's only four hundred yards long, and it's yeah. uh, you know or it is its widest point is four hundred yards wide. I meant to say, yeah, but very small in any case. Well, if they were there, they would have heard those noisy planes flying over and run out to the beach and say, "Hey, we're here, we're here." They never saw anything. So that's why that hypothesis is is um, not viable, you think? Well, but, you know, he keeps coming up with the same story about once every three years, the same story. Oh, a bone he might have found, which ended up being a turtle bone, a, a freckle cream bottle, shoes. I, I've been on those islands down there, and there are piles of anything that floats up on the beach. Okay, and, uh, you know, shoes and par particles of clothing and... And and then he says he they died of starvation. My God, there's coconuts, bananas, uh, there's everything, and the fish. There was an old wreck that was in the lagoon there, and the fish you could catch by hand out of that lagoon. That's what the uh, coast guardsmen used to do. Uh, and I don't know that that story. It's just amazing that that man has got so much traction, and the media right. loves him like they do. But you know, he's put a really, really good team of people together pays them all well to continue to come up and support his hypothesis. Well, let's talk a little bit about disinformation then, because that to me is maybe part of what's going on here. I, I, I don't know. And I know that people think you're crazy if you ever say that the U.S. government lies to us. They're like, oh, you're a crazy person. But we know that governments lie and we know there are cover ups and we know that disinformation is a thing. So could there be some kind of disinformation campaign going on? You know, maybe that's why that other uh, researcher you mentioned is getting so much uh, traction. Well, you know, it's been 80 years. Okay. We just passed the 80th, 80th anniversary of her disappearance. None of the firsthand people that could be held accountable for any, anything like this are, are alive today. 
So our whole point, and and when you go for uh, papers that are still being held top secret, you have to have a specific reason why. And if they were hidden by a presidential directive, then uh, you know you need a, a specific reason to go in and go after those. And we have applied for less. Him less is the one that has applied for many, many, many. I can't even tell you how many Freedom of Information Act requests. And um, several of them have been denied, and they don't have to give you a reason why. Uh, we have got files that are missing, lots of files that are missing on this specific case. And anyway, Les doesn't have his book together all the way yet, but he's going to be releasing his book. And I think it's going to be probably the most accurate book with a collection of historical data. Mike Campbell's got a great book out there, too, The Truth at Last. You've seen this book, probably. Oh, no, I haven't. Okay, going to write that down. Yeah, Mike Campbell. Yep. Mike Campbell, The Truth at Last. Okay. Um, uh, he's actually got, there's one chapter in there about my work. Uh, Mike's a good man. Um, he, he doesn't believe our photo is actually uh, totally correct because he um, is, uh, uh, he, he is, um, he just doesn't believe in uh, in the media in any form telling any truth, and uh, he's just I, I I haven't been able to really pin Mike down for why he doesn't think this is totally accurate. So well, and again, it's just a photo. There there's a lot of other evidence, and you and, know and the, the, what, the fact uh, that everybody's panning everything else just because of a photo is just really dumb. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, because the enormity of the evidence really supports what you're saying. That's right. And Thomas Devine's book, you know, which you've probably seen, which is this book, Eyewitness, okay. Thomas Devine. He, he is one of the, uh, you know, he was a good friend of Mike Campbell. And Mike, Mike, Mike has a collection of evidence of a lot of good writers. Mike isn't a pure researcher himself. He basically collects a lot of other information that the researchers have done and puts it down in a book. So um, it's, I don't know, there's just, there's so much compelling evidence that anybody that really researches Amelia Earhart, and I didn't research Amelia, I knew nothing about her five years ago. The only reason I got into this at all is because I was traveling on business to the Marshall Islands. I sell aluminum boat kits besides teaching. And I was in the Marshall Islands and this story was given to me. It was handed to me. I didn't go out looking for it. And so... And how um, did that happen? Who, who Did you meet someone, or, or how did you get involved? Yeah, I have a, a man down there by the name of Ramsey Reimers. It happens to be Robert Reimers' youngest son. And he was, you know, looking at my webpage and, and uh, my aluminum boat kit webpage, uh, aluminumboatkit.com, and he uh, said, got a hold of me. We Skyped and had a couple phone calls. He says, I, I just want to fly you down here and see what it is we're doing. And so I, I flew down there, got to meet uh, some really important people, fell in love with the country. The country is absolutely beautiful. And I ended up uh, uh, making several trips back. I don't know about my third trip. I was sitting with Ramsey and Tony DeBroom and... There were some other, other dignitaries there from Parliament. And uh, I just made the comment when we were talking about the war relics there. I, I made the comment, didn't Amelia Earhart disappear in this part of the world? And there was an old guy there that was sitting at the table with He said, yeah, she landed on our island, and my uncle watched her for two days. 
And oh, that's man. how it started for me. First of all, let's thank Dick for his time for coming on the show and yes, talking with us. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Because it's nice to get somebody who's so involved in this, who works with the researchers who are involved in the production of the documentary. Right. And he was featured in the documentary as well. So I know, Mike, you, when we first started talking about doing this episode, you were questioning me about, like, well, why do people even care about what happened to Amelia Earhart after 80 years? I mean, why can't we just all come clean if we knew about this? Let's say we, we knew about it. So we, we, we talked about the photo itself and how um, perhaps there's, there's a motive there from a Japanese blogger not wanting to, the Japanese to be implicated in, in the death of America's sweetheart. Right. Okay, so that might be the motivation there. But that doesn't seem to me like compelling enough because the thing is the Japanese were vilified during World War II to such right. an extent. Oh, I yeah, mean, right. I mean, you can say like, okay, they didn't kill Amelia Earhart, but they still did scientific experiments on prisoners of war. Like, you still can't get around that one. Right. right. Why right. would our Absolutely. government hide the fact, especially for this many years? So, mm-hmm. so we know why the Japanese might hide it. But I think your question is, is why would the U.S. government hide it? Okay, so what has been alleged in the documentary is that the U.S. government did know that Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan crashed in the Marshall Islands, but that area was off limits to them. This is what is the contention. So how did they know? Apparently, and this is what's alleged again, they knew because they were able to pick up and decode secret transmissions from the Japanese. And they couldn't do anything about Amelia because they knew they were leading up to the war and they had to preserve their ability to derive intelligence. They, they couldn't, uh. yeah, they, they couldn't um, let it slide. They couldn't let it slip that they, they knew how to decode the secret communications of the Japanese because they knew that that would be essential to have that knowledge in, during World War II. So... But Mike, what was your point after I, I well, said that? Because the first thing I thought about, well, if they knew how to decode the Japanese signals, then they must have known about Pearl Harbor. Yeah. You know, and if they knew oh, about Pearl man. Harbor, then now the that plot is a thickens. reason. Now that is a reason for disinformation. Because Absolutely. you're not going to let out, like, you remember that thing that killed 1,500 U.S. servicemen <sighs> and led us into the war that killed half a million U.S. servicemen? Well, we kind of knew, we kind of knew it was coming, and we and just we didn't do happen. anything about it. Yeah, we, and we let, let it, it happen. happen. So that we would have a compelling reason to get into World War II, December 7th, a day that will live in infamy. Maybe in more right. ways than one. Well, well, that's the thing, and that's an... They were thinking that FDR knew about Pearl Harbor all the way back to the 1950s. You know, there were six different inquiries, like even the the Senate and the Congress. um, But you know how how reliable those Senate and congressional inquiries can be. You know, the the Warren Commission did such a bang up job on the JFK assassination that, you know, they'd, they'd always uncover the truth. But that's that's the thing. And people have alleged that without Pearl Harbor, we wouldn't have gotten to World War II. And, you know, Churchill had been pressuring Roosevelt to get into the war for a long time. And 88% of the American people, including President Kennedy's father, Joseph Kennedy, did not want to get involved in a European war. Because, like, why should we worry? You know, you just had millions of people die in World War I. For what? Now, 25 years later, they're going to do it all again? Like, let them. 
Uh, and so 88% of the American people opposed us getting involved in the Second World War until Pearl Harbor happened. And so the researchers allege that FDR administration not only knew about it, but provoked the Japanese into the attack. Right. And well, it, there, there's something called the McCullum Memo in 1940. Um, and, you know, it's some people have said that this memo actually was sent to, you know, the president. And some people said that the president never saw it. But it's eight actions, an eight action plan that's dedicated to countering the rising Japanese power over East Asia. And it's basically a document on how we can get into the Second World War. And that's provoking Japan to attack the United States and get us involved. And so that memo is what people say is the, you know, that's that's the thing that the U.S. government not just knew about Pearl Harbor or knew that we were going to be attacked soon. It, they kind of wanted it to happen. So now we get involved in the Second World War. And people don't want to think this about Roosevelt because they have this idea of him. You know, they love him because of welfare programs and because of the New Deal and because he kind of is the liberal ideal for a lot of people. And so thinking that he did something as dastardly as getting us involved in World War II on purpose kind of shatters their, you know, their image of him. But I'm saying this is the ultimate New Deal. Like World War II got us out of the Great Depression. Mm. That, as far as a jobs creation program, World War II was a great, you know, that did the trick. And I don't know, uh, obviously we don't know the truth, but even the author Gore Vidal, I'm looking into it. And even Arthur Gorvidal, he thinks that FDR knew in advance. He talks about having lunch with Eleanor Roosevelt in 1962. And he flat out asks her, you know, did FDR know about Pearl Harbor? And she says, no, the plan was for the Japanese to attack our base in the Philippines instead. Wow. What? <laughs> well, that's... That, yeah. That's come from Eleanor, says the plan was to attack our base. So they knew something was coming. Hmm. And when you talk about disinformation, well... In 2011, it comes out that there's another memo that came to the White House three days before the attack on Pearl Harbor that talks about, you know, Pearl Harbor as one of the uh, points of attack that's absolutely coming with the Japanese. And so there's this other 26-page memo warning uh, that an attack is imminent. And, well, we didn't do anything about it. And three days later, Pearl Harbor, a day after that, we declare war on Japan, which means we declare war on their allies in Germany. And then that's it. We're in the war. and so what comes out of that? Well, of course, NPR uh, has an article December 6, 2016. No, FDR did not know the Japanese were going to bomb Pearl Harbor. And it uses its evidence as um, a Roosevelt biographer saying that there's no way Roosevelt would have gone for that. And the reasons why FDR didn't know about that. But it's just as, it's just as he said, she said. Yeah. As as the other side of it. And here's the other thing that I, t- to me, convinced me about this. And I, I know I'm getting into it, but I've been reading about this for the past couple of days. And I always thought that the, the idea that FDR or the White House knew about Pearl Harbor before, I always thought that was ridiculous. You know, kind of like when somebody says nine, to you, like, 9-11 was an inside job, man. You're like, that person's crazy, right? You just kind of dismiss them. And that's how I felt about this until I was looking into this. And even... Edward R. Murrow, you know, who is considered the father of like modern journalism, Edward yeah. R. Murrow, he talks about, he had a, a, a meeting with Roosevelt the day of Pearl Harbor. Like he actually was meeting with the president like when it happened. And he said, you know, if I ever write that story, it could pay for my kids to go to college. And wow. so he was, he was <laughs> implying that there was a whole bunch to Pearl Harbor that we didn't know about. 
Uh, and then he just, I mean, and well, then he died. Not mysteriously, he died of cancer. I mean, you could see him. He's he's smoking cigarette after cigarette, <laughs> and all you know, every time he was on the news, he's got yeah. a marble red in his mouth. So he, it's like he, there's he no. He was like what we're smoking than Rod Sterling. You know, so that the fact that he got uh, it's no surprise. The fact that uh, Edward R. Murrow died of lung cancer. I mean, that's the thing. So all these people are saying, well, there's more to it than this. So why would it be in the best interests? of anybody in power to you know to say that no amelia Earhart, we had no idea she was not captured by the japanese we definitely didn't know about it we definitely didn't decode the the uh the japanese code it's because it would it would imply our culpability in the deaths of all those servicemen at pearl harbor right because if you lied about amelia because you didn't want to compromise your intelligence I mean, what else are you going to lie about? And if you have that that power to intercept those those messages, you would have had the power to know that uh, Pearl Harbor was going to happen. You were going to have that foreknowledge. And and there's books about it too, uh, written by people that served, like uh, the book by uh, Robert Stinnett, who uh, was a veteran of World War II and a hero of World War II, and he wrote a book called Day of Deceit: The Truth About FDR and Pearl Harbor. So these things are hard to face, but here's the thing. We know that governments lie. We know the machinations of power are really, really a difficult thing, let's just say. I mean, it, yeah, it's- We watch Game of Thrones, we understand. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. You know, I wouldn't want to be the president because of all, all the responsibility that you shoulder. But, you know, we, we have to know that uh, the government is not always telling us the truth. And this has been demonstrated time and time again in different countries, in our country, that governments do this. But Okay, I, Alex Jones. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, but that is the thing. That, that's what I'm referring to now, that marginalization. You know, I'm not Alex Jones. I'm just saying, I'm not even saying this, this hypothesis about Amelia Earhart uh, and, you know, the, that hypothesis from this docu- latest documentary is valid. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that we need to have the freedom to question and to say, well, we know governments lie. Mm-hmm. So they, they could have lied in this case. We don't know that, but we have to be open to the possibility without somebody saying you're a conspiracy crazy because you don't, you don't toe the party line. You yeah. don't, uh, you're... You're not just uh, sucking up whatever status quo message they're sending your way. Oh, no, you're using critical thinking and questioning it? Well, then you must be crazy, Um, especially in this era of alternative facts. We have to be vigilant um, in the media messages that we are consuming, and we need to think about those messages. So this is a perfect test case, and we can't, can't let it escape. Uh, you know, the idea that, that it's news to see this picture put out as proof and, you know, rather than the enormity of the evidence that was really presented, that's what we should be concerned with. So the fact that just one single photo is commanding so much attention is really bringing light to the fact that we are not using our minds. We are not critically thinking. We're just taking whatever the media is spitting out at us. So so one week they think it's valid. The next week somebody says it's fake. And are we really analyzing that? 
is anybody saying, hey, Les Kinney, where exactly did you find that in the National Archives? And then going and interviewing that Japanese blogger and showing us what the whole travel log looks like in its no. physical form. Um, or thinking about, well, how vulnerable is that website where that picture was found? Could that have been inserted? We don't know is the point. Well, all they had to do was, was put the date to 1935. Um, all they had to do was change the like change the description you know it doesn't say 1935 in the actual picture you know it's not like she's holding up a newspaper that says you know december 8th 1935 hey check this out everybody <laughs> um what's happening it, it all it is is a description so i mean that could have been changed and that is you know that is a reach to say that you know somebody would change the date of the photo in the japanese archive you know to discredit it but the fact is that this one particular thing being discredited is now is now the whole story instead of the rest of it, the eyewitness testimony and the transmissions and the declassified documents where somebody says Earhart, prisoner of the Japanese, like a U.S. Office of Naval Intelligence document that says that leads me to believe that there's someone that for whatever reason doesn't want us to think that Amelia Hart was captured by the Japanese. And we talked about this a little bit with Jeff Belanger because we talked about the conspiracy theory behind that n nobody was killed at Sandy Hook, right? That people didn't actually, you know, the oh, kids gosh. didn't actually die. Yeah, and, you know, and I know, I know people who really believe that nobody died in Sandy Hook and that it was all just a gun control, you know, that, that they did this so that all of a sudden the public opinion would turn to be for gun control uh, because it's part of the new world order or whatever that we don't have guns and can't defend ourselves. All right. Here's the problem with that conspiracy theory is that nothing happened. Like no gun laws were made. No gun control happened. So if you say, if you say that it's a conspiracy theory, in the end, something actually has to change in order for it to be successful. You know, but after any of these shootings, none of our gun control laws have changed. You have to worry about it. But what happened after Pearl Harbor is that we did go to war. So to me, if this was a conspiracy, it totally worked. We got in World War II and people signed up for it. Our uncle lied about his age so he could go fight sooner. You know, 16 years old, he signed, hell yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to war. And you know, people did die. So that's the thing to me, um, makes it a little more, a, a little more believable to give disinformation about it because unlike these other conspiracies where there's no discernible outcome, here's a very discernible outcome that happened that ended up also with the uh, explosion of atomic bombs over Japan. Right. And my question is, <laughs> Are they leading us in certain ways? I mean, we know that they want to lead us in certain ways. And, and right now, um, right now, I'm thinking of that movie Wag the Dog. About, oh, yeah. Yeah, you remember that one? About uh, the ways um, that we are deceived at, or the ways that we are routed to uh, approving certain things. You know, the, it is supposed to be a government for the people, by the people. And is it? I mean... Our, 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 uh, you know, we don't have a dictatorship, but is the media kind of the, this tool um, that is cattle prodding us along? That's something that we need to think about. Right. And also is the fact that most of our media sources are owned by six different companies. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that really, I mean, I hate to sound like an Alex Jones kind of conspiracy theorist, yeah. but when all the media sources are owned by six different companies, you know, they're not going to let any of their media sources come out that's going to be damaging to their companies. And 
that can be the thing is they have lobbying arms uh they have connections inside the government and then people i mean they may not even have bad intentions but people do each other favors all the time right and and we know this i mean we know how business works we know how politics works we we even know you know like in the ways that we move in the world that that we do conspire with people that just means planning i mean that's not i mean there's nothing uh evil in itself about trying to work with people to get things done. It's just that I think as a populace, we need to realize that those things are going on behind the scenes. And it's not any kind of big Alex Jones kind of thing. It's just the way of the world. And we need to look at these things more clearly and, and uh, question. Always question reality. Question this podcast. I mean, that's okay, too. Um, we're not telling you to believe anything in particular. We're just telling you, hey, think about it and don't fall for the old bait and switch. I mean, don't you fall for it. somebody saying, hey, look at this over here. Oh, no, no, no. Now look at this over here. You know what? You need to stop and you need to think before you're distracted by the media. And you can question us and you can even ask us questions on Twitter at Other Side Talk. <laughs> That's right. That's a, that's a great place to question the podcast is at Other Side Talk uh, on Twitter. But I think what we really want people to do is to see the lizards who they, for who they really are. <laughs> you know? Oh, now we're going to the David Icke territory. <laughs> but the reptilians are kind of... We never met a conspiracy we didn't like. Well, I mean, we don't, we don't believe it, but it sure is entertaining. <laughs> well, I tell you what, though. Um, I mean, if you're looking at it from the perspective of the government or even the perspective of history... If a certain number of people have to die at Pearl Harbor in order for Hitler to be stopped, how many, you know, I think they take the equation of how many lives does it save, you know? And that just goes back into one of those hypotheticals. If you need to sacrifice a certain amount of people so that millions more people can survive, I mean, that's what we used at the end of World War II, isn't it? That's exactly. Chakari, my (laughs) That's right. The needs of the many are greater than the needs of the few or the the one, as Mr. Spock would say. But... The, the thing is, they said that, you know, it estimated a million U.S. soldiers could die if we uh, had a, an attack on the Japanese mainland. If there was a ground-based troops into the Japanese mainland, they predicted a million U.S. soldiers would die. So instead, they dropped the bomb, killed, you know, 100,000 people in a clip. These are horrible decisions that need to be made in politics. Right. And, you know, we're, we're not saying anybody's a lizard. You know, we're just saying... That, you know, these are difficult decisions. Except FDR was a lizard. That's why he wore a blanket over his legs. Like, you, they said it was polio. <laughs> they said it was polio, but it was really just to cover oh up his my tail. Oh, Mike, you are offending, like, everybody right what? now, which you love. Well, come on. That, that's your reason F- for living. Like, what FDR's <laughs> dead? Like, what's he going to say? The only thing, you know. <laughs> but the fact is, uh, he wasn't, he probably wasn't a lizard. It was Eleanor that was the lizard. Um, you could, <laughs> right. <laughs> You can see it in yes. your eyes. Um, you, you know, the, the, fa- the fact is that, you know, these are all people. We're all people. You know, I don't think that these politicians are in league with Satan or anything like that. But I do think, you know, the devil is in the details. You know, when you have to do that bean counting from hell, you know, you have to make those decisions based on the evils of, you know, what's economically better or, or you know, what's, what's better uh, in terms of accounting, you know, how many lines in this column and how, how many lives in this column, how many lives in this column. 
I mean, it's tough stuff that you have to deal with. Well, in if, politics. if you don't and think, hopefully, everybody who's in office take, is taking that seriously. If you don't think that politicians are in league with Satan, you've obviously never had to buy health insurance from one of the exchanges. So, <laughs> oh man. Um, oh, we're touching on so many right. political live wires today. That's right. We? we keep on, uh, <laughs> and we we intend to electrocute all of those live wires. Either way, <laughs> we want to poke that bear. As we much certainly as do. We want to thank Dick Spink for joining us and uh, sharing some of his research with us. And also, we want to challenge you guys to uh, use your brains when you're listening to this. So just because Gizmodo one day tells you that Amelia Earhart was captured by the Japanese and the next week tells you that, nope, she wasn't captured by the Japanese, read both stories and try to pay attention for yourself. And don't just follow the the narrative that uh, they tell you to follow because usually there's a reason they tell you to follow it. And sometimes it's, it's benign as we just want you to buy our products. And sometimes they want to make you believe things that aren't true to save their own hides. Right. So... Consider all the evidence before you make your determination. That's all we're saying here. And if that sounds crazy, well, I think we're living in a crazy Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we started this podcast by talking about somebody who was an inspiration to people because she was a pioneer in aviation and she was supposed to be the first person to circumnavigate the globe in her plane with her trusty navigator, Tom Noonan. No, I know, Brad I know. Noonan. I know. Um, but the thing is, she was inspiring. And either way, I think the song this week represents the fact that Amelia Earhart was the kind of person who liked to make decisions for herself. And that was what this week's song is about. It's called The Way I Fall. Let me down 
thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at OthersidePodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. And here's what we wish the disinformation people would tell you. You're supposed to go to OthersidePodcast.com slash donate. <laughs> That's the one thing that I, like, if they were actually... The one truth. Right. <laughs> The conspiracy theory that we truly believe in is our Patreon. So you can check that out, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And you can join us in one of our fun hangouts where we talk about this stuff like live on Google. Yes, coming up last week of the month. And we want to send a special shout out to our Patreon, Ned. Dr. Ned is at the level where he gets a mention every single week. So thank you, Dr. Ned, for your support. Thank you to all of our wonderful Patreons for support. And... We'll see you on the other side. Thank you. I was gonna say, we're 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 really we're we're really cooking here, guys. I was gonna say, did you say old or did you say bald? <laughs>